Welcome to Animalia, a podcast all about making it easy and inclusive to learn about this big, beautiful planet, the life we share it with, and how to protect it. Welcome to the five-minute-ish version of our episode this week, Saving Sea Stars Equals Saving Forests. I'm going to share a short summary of my longer interview with Jason Hoden from the University of Washington. If you listen to this and are interested to hear more, make sure to go check out the full episode. You might not know how incredibly unique and weird sea stars are, or that they are critical to the survival of many key marine ecosystems, like kelp forests, or that in 2013, they faced a massive epidemic that wiped out up to 95% of many species, or that those kelp forests they lived in have themselves been collapsing since that massive loss, or how this greatly impacts us since those kelp forests are critical for producing oxygen, housing fish, and sequestering carbon. Nature and all its interconnectedness is truly wild and remarkable. Okay, so let's first establish up front that sea stars are strange as fuck. Like, extraterrestrial strange. They can regenerate their limbs. Their stomach actually emerges out of their mouth in order to eat, swallowing prey like sea urchins and mussels and spitting back the shells. They have no brain, no blood, but millions of tiny tube feet and eyes at the end of their arms. And as Jason points out, they also seemingly never age. Maybe the most famous thing about sea stars, uh, which is also true of the broader group, but, but most dramatically so in, in, in the sea stars, is that is their regeneration ability is the fact that if they lose parts of their body, they can grow it back. And, and correlated with that you know, is something that maybe isn't so well recognized, but that regeneration ability essentially means that they are eternally renewable. Literally, there isn't any sign in sea stars or in their relatives that they ever really age. So I think it's not, not inappropriate. And, you know, an old, an old mentor referred to them to me once as being immortal. And I think that that's, you know, valid. I mean, they could be taken out by a disease or they could be eaten by something, obviously, but they never age in any way that we sort of understand aging. And, and that's probably connected to this amazing regenerative ability. In 2013, sea stars up and down the Pacific coast of the United States died in massive numbers due to sea star wasting disease. It's a bit of a misleading term compared to how we think of diseases as very specific, identifiable virus or bacteria induced. Sea star wasting disease is a phenomenon where sea stars quite literally and tragically start to collapse in on themselves and turn to a puddle of goo. It's a horrifying image. It has been documented before, but never in the volume scientists saw in 2013. It may be due to a pathogen or climate change-induced stress, but most likely a combination of both. This bout of wasting disease hit many different sea stars very hard, putting some species, like the sunflower sea star that Jason works with, on the verge of extinction. So they were very, very abundant, extremely common divers, beachcombers, crab fishermen, people who walk along docks and look on the pilings along the West Coast would be very familiar with this star. They're very colorful. They're huge. They can be like the size of a bicycle wheel or bigger when they're fully grown adults. And so they're, they're you know, commonly spotted. So that was the, in the before times and before this epidemic of wasting disease hit in 2013, uh, you would find them quite commonly across the range from Alaska all the way down to Northern Mexico. Now, as far as I've heard, 
there have been no documented sightings of sunflower stars in northern Mexico or anywhere along California's coast and in subtitled deeper water areas for several years now. So, you know, we think that they're all but extinct in that area. As sea stars died off, the ecosystems they live in started to change as well, and particularly kelp forests. Kelp forests sequester more carbon than their terrestrial forest cousins. They produce a ton of oxygen. They house many of the fish we eat off our coastal waters. And kelp itself is an incredibly healthy, regenerative form of marine agriculture. However, as sea stars died, their prey, particularly sea urchins, flourished, eating through the kelp at record rates. Some bull kelp forests in Northern California have been depleted by as much as 90%. The kelp forests uh, that we have along the West Coast, there's a couple different main species, starting in about central California and going all the way up to Alaska. The dominant species out here is a species called bull kelp. And what we saw in the years after 2013 when the sea star wasting disease hit and right at the same time as we got sort of unusually warm waters that you were alluding to, right around that same time, kelp started to disappear quite dramatically. And it went down itself in, Calif- in some parts of California from you know, uh, healthy populations down to five to 10% of what their normal forest cover was in the past. And so, and that, that connection that you asked about with urchins and sea stars is that in a sort of a healthy kelp forest ecosystems, there are sea urchins there, sea urchins eat kelp, but the uh, urchins have predators. Historically, one of their main predators was, was sea otters. Sea otters are, are gone in a lot of the West Coast from, from, heart, from, over, from hunting, basically human hunting, and restored in a few areas, but um, still missing from a lot of the coast. And in, in many of the areas, the only other main predator of adult sea urchins are sunflower stars. This species that had been, that we study that was really, really badly affected by wasting disease. Now, sunflower stars have a couple of different effects on sea urchins. They do eat them, but they also sort of famously uh, strike fear into not only sea urchins, but all other kinds of organisms on the seafloor when they encounter them. Sunflower stars are, you know, a lot of your listeners probably think about sea stars when they see them on the beach and they're not really doing much. Maybe they're just kind of sitting there. Sunflower stars, if you see them underwater, are extremely active. They, they're highly mobile and they move a lot faster than your typical sea star. And as they're sort of gliding along the seafloor, encountering other organisms on the, in their way, those organisms flee in front of them and that includes urchins. So the impact of the loss of sea otters and the loss of, of sea stars on directly eating sea urchins and on this potential fear factor, which you know, might also influence the behavior of urchins may be associated with why we saw this explosion in the population of sea urchins in the years that followed that onset of wasting disease in this warmer water event. But there is hope. Jason and his team are working on breeding sunflower sea stars in captivity so they can be restored back to the wild. It's novel science in the sense that we've never really bred sea stars before, making this a challenging game of trial and error. There are more questions than answers right now, but the team has made a ton of progress in 18 months and has successfully reared sea stars from larvae to juvenile to early adult stage. The reason that I guess it's the first reason it's so challenging is that these things haven't been done so much before. So we don't have a lot of, you know, basic 
things to go off of. You know, the, the one species that has been successfully reared that I mentioned, that I alluded to, it's, it's quite different. What it feeds on as a juvenile is pretty different than the sunflower star. So, you know, what they learned couldn't really be, be you know, applied directly to what we were doing. And, and again, like if you think about it, the, the, you know, again, get in your mind, this massive predatory sea star, you know, that, you know, can be three to five feet in diameter and eating large prey, okay? When they undergo that metamorphic process that we talked about earlier from a larva to a juvenile, they start off the size of a poppy seed. So they're gonna grow as a juvenile, as a little tiny sea star, starting at the size of a poppy seed and getting up to that huge adult size. Clearly what they're eating at that poppy seed size is not the same as the adults. And so basically we didn't know what they eat, what they ate, what kind of habitat they liked. We didn't, we didn't, people haven't really found them in the wild. And so we didn't know what kinds of habitat to give them so that they would grow. And, and we didn't know what to feed them, you know, and so forth. So we didn't know how long it would take. You know, there, there were just so many questions about or how to do this and, you know, whether we could accomplish it from the beginning. And so we just had to kind of, you know, give it our best shot. And, you know, we had, we had some successes in the beginning, but a lot, of, a lot of difficulties in trying to figure out how to raise them. And this was also during the early times of COVID. It's so refreshing and inspiring to see people like Jason do what they do, to apply their scientific knowledge and ability to help a species in crisis, not just a species, but the surrounding ecosystems that depend on them as well. If you can, please support Jason and his team. There's a link in the notes to donate to their project. And spread the love about sea stars and continue to fight to protect our oceans and all the life within. Don't forget to check out the full interview as well if you like this abbreviated version.